The statements and views expressed on the Voices and Vulnerability podcast are those of the speakers alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Emory University School of Law or its affiliates. Welcome to Voices and Vulnerability, where we interview the scholars shaping vulnerability theory in the legal world and beyond. We're here to learn about the transformational potential of vulnerability theory and how it is already shaping public policy and discourse around the world. I am your host, Mangalai Kanesan. I am pleased to have Andrew Pilliar, Assistant Professor of Law at Thompson Rivers University as my guest. Professor Pilliar is primarily interested in access to justice and will contribute a chapter to an upcoming volume with Rutledge called Law and Structuring Individual and Institutional Responsibility Beyond Equality and Freedom. Thank you so much for being here today, Professor Pilliar. Thank you so much for having me, Mangala. Can you tell me a bit about this upcoming volume with Rutledge and how you got involved with it? Sure. So I have had an interest in vulnerability theory for a few years now, since um, uh, my doctoral work. And in the course of that, I have uh, had the opportunity to meet a few folks also working in the field. Um, And one of those uh, was a former colleague, Laura Spitz, who um, is involved um, in pulling this piece together. I had been working on um, some thinking along what vulnerability theory has to do with the justice system, the legal system itself. And so the possibility of contributing a chapter on really vulnerability theory and access to justice, which is sort of where my uh, my research research comes from, was just a terrific opportunity to think through what could vulnerability theory have to say about the legal system, legal processes, access to justice topics. Now, how did you first become interested in access to justice? What what made that the focus of your research? How did you then apply vulnerability theory to it? And where did that take your work? So before becoming a law professor, I, I was a lawyer for a few years. And one of the things I remember about the practice of law was just the frustration of feeling constrained by a system that was evidently not meeting the needs of a number of people who sometimes I would see for pro bono files who had valid cases or valid defenses, but couldn't um, often afford lawyers. Uh, This appeared to be, in my experience, very often there were gendered aspects to this. Um, So dealing with a lot of women who had fled sometimes abusive situations or sometimes um, uh, relationships and some of the family law aspects of the matter may have been covered by legal aid, often it wasn't, but um, many other things that were products of those relationships breakdowns fell outside of legal aid coverage. And so there was this manifest need um, without the systems in place to help people navigate through those needs and and solve their problems. So I remember thinking in practice that access to justice problems were real, um, but I wasn't sure what anybody was doing about them. We have um, seen where I am in British Columbia, as we have in many places around the world, uh, a steady progression of cuts to legal aid funding since really the 1980s. 
And that has left a system that is uh, often just incapable of responding to the level of need that exists within community. So that's what drove me back to grad school to see what other people were talking about and doing with access to justice. And I came across research and there's research in Canada, there's research in the States, there's research around the world that seems to demonstrate um, that access to justice problems, so significant problems with the legal dimension are pretty near ubiquitous in Canada. The number is um, about 50% of adults will have experienced a significant justiciable problem over the last three years. And a very small minority um, will actually find their way to help through something like the legal system or lawyers. So that's some of the background research on access to justice. But as I got further into it, it became clear that while there are a lot of people talking about access to justice as a problem, very often the discourse around access to justice is in, um, in many ways focused on the problem that access to justice represents for the system itself. So access to justice as a problem for the legal profession, as a threat to lawyers' self-regulation, um, as a rule of law problem. Um, so access to justice as a rule of law problem. And while these things may be true, I think it misses the core of why access to justice is important. Access to justice is often described as a crisis. And I think it is a crisis for folks who have experienced something that has created a real sense of injustice in their lives, but don't have access or unable to access um, or prefer not to access legal tools to try and resolve those problems. So that forced me down a path of thinking about what's the better justification, what's the better lens to think about access to justice problems through. And that ultimately led me to vulnerability theory and to Professor Feynman's work on thinking about human vulnerability and embodied um, human vulnerability as a very useful theoretical construct and also a very dynamic one to recognize that access to justice problems when understood through the lens of vulnerability are both very particular to each person experiencing an access to justice problem as they are situated um, uh, within community and, um, you know, and, and physically embodied. But there's also a universality to that. And that um, combination of the particularity and the universality, I think, is a very important strength of vulnerability theory. What does your chapter in the book delve into specifically? So in the chapter for the book, what I'm trying to work through is what if we take vulnerability theory as the core of how we approach topics like access to justice problems, what could that lead to in terms of reimagining a justice system, a legal system? and how that system interfaces with other, um, other systems that affect human life. So whether that be medical uh, systems or other social systems. What I'm trying to work through is what does a person-centered conception of, human, of access to justice that is built around vulnerability theory, what does that mean for things like how we think about legal aid, how we train lawyers, 
how we train other legal professionals, how we regulate the legal profession, because I think the role of law legality has always been an important part of vulnerability theory and understanding that the state very often acts through legal mechanisms and law. And so in thinking about what a responsive state looks like through a vulnerability lens, the ability to use legal tools to ensure that the state is acting in responsive ways to me seems pretty important and pretty core to the functioning of a responsive state. But in my experience, legal systems tend to be one of the least responsive um, examples of how states operate and one of the more durable, um, often very conservative ways of um, dealing with human problems. So I think vulnerability theory offers an opportunity to think through what a responsive state does or could do in um, dealing with legal matters and justice matters. So how does the vulnerability theory analysis change the way that you are looking at these issues? How is it different now than it was before you applied this perspective and this tool? One of the things that it's done, and this is very much still a work in progress, so you know this, this may change by the time the chapter is prepared, but one of the one of the things that I think is important is and then going back to the universality, particularity, duality, is to think through access to justice as a problem which affects everybody. Right. And so it affects everybody at different points along the life course, but and it'll affect people in different ways based on their you know, positionality within uh, social systems. But that has implications for how we might design something like legal aid and how we might think of legal aid as something which should not be pushed to the margins and reserved for um, a few, but rather something that um, should be universal. Right. If we believe that this um, responsive state premised on human vulnerability uh, should be able to operate and should respond through legal means, then that universal access um, and that sense of obligation to that system uh, is pretty core. So working this through, I think this has some implications for things like legal aid. In many places, legal aid eligibility is determined by looking at income thresholds or um, assets that an individual may have. And as we think about vulnerability theory and we think about different asset classes that may be relevant to people's lives, so material assets, environmental assets, social assets, and others, we might think about how to allocate um, legal aid resources differently. We might look to things like not just an income cutoff, but also, you know, if somebody is relatively um, more vulnerable based on um, different asset classes, they may have sort of a low income, but uh, also very few social resources. That person you might see as not just um, needing something like legal aid to a greater degree, but also what would be provided could be different. So rather than just 
um, a paid for lawyer or a partially paid for lawyer, perhaps some um, social, uh, something to help build up that sort of social asset base. So maybe there are other ways of trying to help somebody through uh, a legal problem, which as we also know, very often tends to be one of a number of problems that is affecting somebody's life. So in a way, this points to an interdisciplinary um, way of thinking about access to justice problems. And I think it's an invitation to think more holistically about um, what can and should a responsive state offer to help people through what are often very difficult points in their lives, points of you know, high vulnerability when they're going through um, important legal problems. Are there other researchers who are also working on this with you who you're in contact with? I'm not aware of anybody who's working on vulnerability and access to justice and its implications for the legal system specifically. I know there's been a lot of work on discrete issues um, and things I think relate to this. And so some of the conversations even within the vulnerability initiative have been very fruitful and got me thinking in different ways. I don't know of anybody who's got a focus as explicitly on sort of the legal system and the legal professions I do. If I'm wrong in this, please let me know if I'm missing somebody, if you know of somebody. Well, I hope if anyone listening to this <laughs> identifies as such that they'll contact us and let us know. So that would be wonderful. <laughs> what courses do you teach? You, also, you teach, right? I do teach. So I teach um, uh, civil procedure. I teach business associations. I teach family law. And I also have two courses, which are, so those are all large courses. Um, I have two courses on, which are seminar courses. One is uh, access to justice policy responses, where we try and think through, understand access to justice problems and think about what um, policy solutions um, might relate to access to justice problems. And then another course, which is called the Business of Practicing Law. And that's a course which introduces students to some of the behind the scenes stuff that you don't usually get taught in law school, like um, how does billing work? How do you try and attract, retain clients? How do you try and structure things? But it really also offers an opportunity for students to um, see different ways of practicing, whether those include unbundled legal services or um, imagining practice in a way that's very different from what they probably imagined up till this point, and then sort of working that through and, and imagining what their, their future in the legal profession might be. How do students respond to your perspective, which if you're, since you're a researcher incorporating vulnerability theory, it seems, I imagine that many of the courses you taught that you teach would be very different coming from someone who's working with the vulnerability perspective than someone who isn't. I think it's an ongoing challenge to sort of understand the expectations that students come into a class with and be able to, on the one hand, engage them and also sometimes confront them with um, learning opportunities that are different from what they thought they wanted or thought they needed. So um, I find that the seminar classes are far better at being able to do that and be able to take a deep dive um, into those topics. But the larger classes also provide an opportunity if done well. One of the things that 
um, comes to mind in the chapter. I'm hoping to work through some of the implications for uh, the legal profession and legal practice of a um, vulnerability attentive conception of access to justice. And one of the things I think uh, comes to mind is something like trauma-informed practice and the idea that lawyers um, could and should be seen as a caring profession and a profession that is able to develop skills and practitioners which can respond to um, the particularities and the particular experiences and vulnerabilities of um, individuals coming into a practice. So one way of doing that is uh, there's been quite a bit of activity um, in Canada, but also in, the, in some parts of the US uh, about thinking through what um, trauma-informed practice looks like and whether that, um, you know, for law students, I think that means very often trying to cultivate skills and interpersonal skills that we don't usually talk about in law school. It's something that comes up in clinical practice a lot, but I think comes up and should come up just as much in certainly a family law class, but even classes on civil procedure, business associations, ways of understanding um, what potential clients come into an office with or what even parties on the other side um, come with. And there's this, again, sense of universality um, that sits underneath this, which is this recognition of a common embodied vulnerability, whether we are aware of it or not. But I think even beginning to uh, get into these topics is, is a shift from most law school topics. But it's one that I think is directly relevant to vulnerability theory. And it's something that I'm hoping to build into courses more um, in future years. That's so interesting. And it sounds like it would be really valuable for your students and for the clients that they end up working with. I hope so. I mean, you'd have to ask the students what they think and probably ask them a couple of years out what they think. I think it's one of those things that you reflect on and maybe has a bit more value than you might think of it as at the time. What impact would you like your work as a professor and as a researcher to have? Well, one thing that I hope um, as, as a teacher is that students leave my class feeling that law is not as threatening and that law school is not as threatening. My own experience in law school was not the best. You know, I've talked about this. Um, I know that many share this for a variety of reasons that law school can very often be a a challenging place to be for three years with all kinds of implications on mental health and, and other things. And so if, if I can offer some opportunities of respite for that, and some opportunities where people can feel that they are good enough um, being there and that they can bring them their whole selves through law school and beyond, then I'll be very happy. Um, and, you know, when I think about the research dimension, what I'm in some ways, what I think of this as is an opportunity to try and change some of the systems that we're enmeshed in to make them a little bit more responsive, a little bit more attentive to actual human needs, and hopefully um, to ultimately promote human well-being uh, in a better way. 
you know, I think an, an interesting aspect of legal practice and litigation is that, you know, going through a litigation can be a very traumatic experience for many people, including sometimes the lawyers and the judges involved. Um, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that something like the process of going through a divorce is one of the aspects of the ACEs um, metric that, um, you know, is often used to understand um, uh, childhood adverse experiences. So I think um, there is a clear, though often underexplored way in which legal systems harm. Um, and I think what I hope some of this research can do is begin turning some of those aspects of the legal system in a different direction um, into one that's more responsive to human needs and more constructive towards human well-being. Very pie in the sky stuff, but I think these are the worthwhile things to be talking about. Absolutely. Usually I ask this closer to the beginning of an interview, but we've been using these terms quite a bit how do you define these different terms that you've been using? Vulnerability, well, you, you've been talking about universal vulnerability, what it means to be embodied, what it means to be embedded, and uh, how do we get to the idea of a responsive state or how do we require a responsive state? So these are great, great questions that I don't know I can offer full answers to, but for me, so my background before law, before going to law school was in biology and physics. And part of that um, involved some work in cognitive science um, and some work in neurophysiology. And one of the things that occurred to me that back then was that our often old assumptions about how we work, about how our thinking works, are outmoded and especially some of the ideas of a uh, brain in a vat the idea that we are thinking but not embodied just seemed based on developing research to be demonstrably wrong so i think that led me to a place where hearing about vulnerability theory for the first time um, sort of felt like somebody finally uh, saying something which I had intuited to be true for a while. Um, and this idea that, you know, we are all uh, vulnerable. Uh, you know, I hate to talk about the human condition as though there are things that are universal to anybody, but if there is one, it is this sense of mortality and the finiteness of life. And in addition to that, this idea that um, during a life course, we will each experience challenges and vulnerabilities in different ways, points of time when we are dependent on others. And so the idea of the autonomous individual um, as removed from others, again, is demonstrably wrong, but so much of our, um, the predominant culture and many of the institutions that have been created within that culture and society seem to be built upon that. And so um, vulnerability theory resonates so much for me because it 
reflects what I think is just a more accurate understanding of how humans are. And, and this idea of embodiment, the idea of um, that, you know, we are not brains and bats, that rather we are um, uh, people whose lived experiences differ, but have some sort of shared commonality of um, uh, vulnerability and efforts to respond to that vulnerability by promoting developing resilience. And that this is not also something that is done at the level of the individual. This is something that resonates and scales up from the level of an individual right up through communities and into societies more broadly. And so if we take that to a, um, a more broad point that takes us to the idea of a responsive state, the idea of a state which acknowledges and builds upon these um, understandings of uh, shared vulnerability in a way that then seeks to design and implement systems and institutions in ways to promote resilience um, wherever possible. Is there anything specific that you would like listeners to remember about our conversation today? Any takeaways? I think if anything, it's just that there is among the various systems that we talk about and we think about in vulnerability theory as important to a responsive state that the legal system, and I use system a little bit hesitantly here because I, I, I don't, one of my goals is to make these systems a little less siloed in the future and more interdisciplinary. But my hope is that the legal system can be at the forefront of a uh, responsive state which promotes and helps to foster resilience and human well-being rather than, as it often is, uh, a laggard in, in doing so. Thank you so much for being here today and for your time. This has been really interesting. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. I'm looking forward to working through some of these ideas in the chapter and uh, to some more uh, interesting conversations with folks also working in vulnerability theory. And if anybody is out there doing work on vulnerability theory and the legal system explicitly and, and specifically on the design of legal institutions, please, I'd love to hear from you. This has been an episode of Voices in Vulnerability. Expect a new episode every month. If you like what you heard here, you can find us on Twitter at VHC Initiative and on Facebook at Vulnerability and the Human Condition. Thanks for tuning in.